Okay, here we go, here we go. All right, let's pray. Seven Sundays in Pentecost, that's as many as you can get. So that's good. Exaude, the church expectant. I will pour out a spirit of compassion and uh, supplication. Zechariah twelve ten. Almighty, everlasting God, hear the prayers of your church, which waits for thee, and grant that the splendor of thy glory may shine upon it and illumine the hearts of the reborn children. Prepare us by thy grace to receive thy Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, this is a little bit of a free-for-all today because it's the, it's the last one. I never really know that until the governing board gets together and gets things set. So um, first let me say, there'll be, vo- there'll be voters meetings and information meetings scheduled for the next four weeks. I don't know exactly how that will work out, but we have to give notice uh, by Constitution two weeks in advance for any voters meeting. So it's better for us to give you notice uh, than not to give you notice, because then that retains just a little bit of flexibility. But next week at this time, there'll be information meeting about the budget and anything else you want to ask. We can talk about anything. And uh, then there are voters' meetings scheduled three, the following three Sundays. Uh, the president will, uh, I'm, I think, I'm sure, and the, and the governing board will, you know, chat through with the pastors and figure out which ones to set the meetings for. Uh, but we need to have two by constitution. We need to elect officers. We need to pass a budget, and then probably just need to chat about things. It's always good to do that. 10:15 seems to be the best time we get the uh, most people in. So any questions just about any of that? You know, it's a little bit thin today, of course, because we have confirmation and, and uh, folks already are, you know, it's Mardi Gras in many homes today in the greater Wheaton area. So we have a lot of people who are normally here who aren't here. So, uh, you know, but pass the news to your friends. Be back next week, 10, 15. Uh, life will be good. Um, let me make an apology uh, in the classic sense of of giving reasons for why we did what we did this year. This was the day, at least my intent always was, that this was the day that I would stand in front of you with a design for the new sanctuary. And what I hope to uh, say was, now you see why this is here and that's over there and this is shaped that way and this will look this way and this will remind you of that and this will disconcert you a little bit but this will comfort you a little bit. You know, here's the thing. Um, in all things that are run by, you know, larger groups, and I suppose a church, the way we're configured is as close to a raw democracy as you can get. Um, You know, things just take more and more time. The worst thing that we can do is kind of move past people, uh, especially people who are in leadership positions, without getting everybody a chance to meet. Part of the problem is, is nobody hangs around. Uh, For almost any group, you know, two or three weeks is about what it takes to get a, find a date where even most people can get there. So you remember we were going to go to the Bible church a few weeks ago, and what we really intended was that the designer would be there, and then we would be able to talk after that. And I don't want to front-run the designer, because I think it's important for him to give his own, put his own words to his own design. So I won't even say, you know, too much today. I want to be careful about that. Uh, but really, the intent was, in talking about beauty, that we could say to you, okay, now you should, be able to, you should be able to say, this is that. That is all the things we talked about now come alive insofar as we are able, given the space that we're buying and the budget that we have, uh, for our worship. Let me tell you a story. Uh, our, our kids' choir uh, was in, uh, you know, up at the LEA convention in Minnesota, and they went to St. Paul's Cathedral there. 
And then one of the kids remarked, there is so much to learn just from the building here, which, of course, is exactly what we want. We want people to walk into a building, and we want the building to teach. Everything teaches. So, um, you know, it's obviously not going to look like the Vatican. It actually uh, won't, it shouldn't look like um, it was done by a group of pietists either, uh, who only had white paint and no fabric. Uh, you know, the worst thing you could do is all white paint and felt. That would be the end of us. So, uh, you know, there's something, there's something in the middle of those two things that we're aiming at. But when you come to it, what we hope for is that um, you'll see beauty, uh, given the circumstances that we have, where beauty means the incarnational presence of Christ. And so that, of course, is what we're aiming at with the primary points of Lutheran theology, uh, the incarnation, and the the incarnation delivered through Scripture, baptism, absolution, the Holy Supper, and the unsacrament of confirmation. No, not the last (laughs) one. This afternoon we celebrate the unsacrament of confirmation. That's how the memo came across my desk. I have no idea who wrote it. (laughs) as my rubric said for this afternoon, the unsacrament of confirmation. Or did it say the non-sacrament? The non-sacrament of confirmation, yes, right. Even though Jesus said to do it, so we have some difficulty there. But nevertheless, you know, it is what it is. So uh, the point of all that, what you were supposed to see across the course of this time was, as Jesus came to earth and took flesh, so creation, in a sense, takes flesh and then expresses beauty. In many circumstances, if you talk about beauty... People see it as a distraction or uh, something ancillary to a broader process or sometimes even as the enemy. You know, there were times in the church uh, when all the walls were white and there was no image of anything. Or my, when I went to, um, my, I had a quite a kind of a pietistic, one of my kind of a pietistic, uh, iconoclastic, very bright advisor at Princeton who took great glee when I got a, a, a scholarship to go to Germany for four months. He said, you must go to this, you must go to this Lutheran church and go to the altar, and there's a dome over the altar, and look up, and in the top you'll see an image of the Heavenly Father, and that is heresy. Of course, because the Heavenly Father was imaged, you know, and for, for kind of deeply pietistic, reformed Christians, which is a small slice of the world, that is in fact heresy. The other side is the icon from um, Pastor Nelson's ordination that sits on the back ledge from time to time where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all represented in flesh, Genesis chapter 12. 12? 12. 18. Thank you. Sorry. I I use my Bible the way I drive, which is not by street names, but by, by, by location. So if I'm in my own Bible, I can find things, but as soon as I have to um, look at those illicit numbers, which were not in the original text, you remember, I get all confused. You know, they weren't in the original text, you remember. There weren't even commas and periods, you remember that as well. So, But Burkholz, I have a dry lecture on that later in the week. <clears throat> Sorry, man, you're a Greek teacher. What are you going to say? It's Greek, man. Who wants to learn that, right? Hey. hey. Oh, sorry. Greek major? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, good. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, no. Zoop, zoop. All right, so just any questions about any of that, or even I'd be happy to venture into a little bit about next door if you want to. But the, that was the point of all that. But just really specific to the, not about the, the, the bond financing, you know. No, only about the, 
sanctuary design and beauty as it were. Any just questions about anything? Everybody okay? We'll see Marie now. That's the thing. That's the way rumors get started. There'll be a font and an altar. We're still working on a pulpit. And beyond that, we won't be sure. And you know, there'll be this piece of stained glass, you know, central to what it is, because you said that's what you need. And if you give me a million dollars, Marie, you can have the rest of the stained glass, too. <clears throat> and if you give me two million dollars, I'll tell you everything you want to know right now. <laughs> um, nope, you're all okay? Yes, Carol. Um, I was, uh, I, had a, I had sort of a self-imposed deadline of Friday for the final design for the sanctuary. That is the final, the main final choices, which would then go to the designer who would um, spruce it up and then double check it with the architect. And then that would all be okayed by the real estate committee. Tentatively, that meeting uh, is supposed to be the 20th of this month, but I haven't heard back. That, that is not even, in fact, it's news to anybody who's in the, if you're in the REC, the 20th of this month, 7 p.m., you haven't gotten the email yet because I didn't get, not everybody has said we can do it at that time. But here's the thing, I don't want to, in any specific, I kind of don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of it. Because here's the thing, um, I tried that once while, during this process, it was a grave, grave mistake. <laughs> Which is, is uh, you know, I, I sort of shorthanded some stuff. Um, Partly because I think about it every, every day. I mean, I, went, I got up yesterday and just stared at these drawings for about an hour and a half before I even got out of bed. I went to bed last night with these drawings. I woke up and they're the first things I looked at. And the hard thing is, is uh, you know, we're trying to get it right and we're trying to move the things uh, where they belong. If I, anything less, anything partial, and I'm, I'm not doing this sort of to taunt you, actually. It's been, this has been as brutal a thing as almost anything that's happened at St. John because the stakes for me personally, um, just didn't want to, I just want to, I just want it to be right, you know, um, because you live with this for a fair bit of time. So I, I just want to, I just want to make sure that it's the best that we can do. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll come, I would think, you know, as, if we, if we move easily through this month, you know, maybe by the beginning of next month or something, but I, our original intent was to go to the Bible church. So you can actually hear the explanation in Lotzi, right? So you'll say the font should be there, the altar should be there, you'll look this way, you'll look that way, try to imagine this, this goes over there. You'll walk in this way, you'll leave this way, you'll park over there, this is what the entryway will look like. So in all those things, it'll just be easier. And really, I'm defenseless, especially because I didn't bring designs or papers or anything. And I did that intentionally. I mean, I, I, just, I just, you know, I, I want you to be interested uh, but on the other hand, I am very worried. But, what I, but I, what I really want you to try to understand is what I hope that you'll walk in and see is you'll be able to see the incarnational presence of Christ, and that will be beautiful for you. That's what I'm aiming at. Okay? That's what I'm hoping for on a very, very small budget, which is okay because we knew that's what we were doing. We knew the big bite was the land. We knew that. So, you know, our kids or their kids or somebody else's kids who we never met yet will have to come and uh, when they want to do something 
more dramatic, then that's what they'll do. But it is, I think, uh, quite well done within the parameters that were delivered. So, yes, please. Right. Um, and all of them had an altar with a tabernacle. Right. And it fits the graph here. Uh, and he knew we were Lutheran. Right, yeah, yeah. But the kids were asking, what happened to the tabernacle in the Lutheran? <laughs> 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 okay, did you get all that? Tabernacle. Okay, so here's the thing. The question was, they went to the cathedral, there's a main altar, as there often are, and then there are side altars, and then um, there are what's called a tabernacle, you know, and you, you know this if you've ever been to a Catholic church. In fact, I haven't seen it, but somebody told me that at St. Mike's they have a door that you can open, and there's a tabernacle that has the host there 24 hours a day for, for people to, you know, say prayers and such. So the question was, what happened to the tabernacle? Um, let me say two things about that. One is um, we actually even considered the possibility of multiple altars where we were because, I don't know if you ever anybody watched, uh, what was the last thing I watched? It must have been Easter at the Vatican. They communed 3,000 people in 10 minutes. How'd they do that? <laughs> you know, well, the way they do it is they have multiple altars and multiple people who distribute um, but there is, since Vatican II, there's been more of a sense of um, trying to get most things coming from one altar. It's a, it's a very Catholic sense. The tabernacle part, so multiple altars are a little bit going away because they compete a little bit. You kind of have your favorite altar, and that may not, you know, that can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. The tabernacle is a, is a box, um, uh, often very ornate where whatever is not consumed at the altar, any host, all the wine is drunk, but any of the hosts that are not eaten are put into the tabernacle and usually locked. And then actually, there's normally, there's often a light that indicates uh, the elements that were at the altar are there. Uh, sometimes, if there's no light, you're just to presume that they are, in fact, there. Uh, and this goes with the notion that... Uh, once Christ speaks to the body and blood, or as that great margin comment put it today, once the priest pours God into the chalice, uh, that that never stops. There was a large argument about that in the, in the Reformation times, prompted primarily by uh, the fact that people would uh, not eat and drink, but for example, exhibit the host and carry it through the streets and then not eat it. And then Lutheran sort of rebelled against that as it wasn't, there, there's nothing wrong with adoration, but it's an adoration in the midst of the eating and drinking. And so um, Lutherans uh, often, the tabernacle sort of slipped away because of that, although there are Lutheran churches round about that do have tabernacles. Uh, the easiest thing, the, the way to solve the problem is just to eat and drink everything, which you've noticed over the past year or two, we've tried to do more of that. Uh, that's just the best solution to eat and drink everything, and then you don't have a tabernacle question. Uh, but there is a, a piety, uh, well, you know, everybody chooses their problems, and that's probably one of the better problems to have if you have that deep a respect for the sacrament as opposed to, yeah, it's really maybe not anything going on there. So that's where the tabernacles went. They went because, like so many things in the church, I kind of said this, this is probably one of the first things I ever said to you. 
Um, you know, practice in the church. If you don't have any, you kind of let them flourish. And then, so, and we sort of let that happen. Really, you know, just there's no sort of mystery behind chasubles and incense. And, and again, in fact, I have a great Walter quote to run this week. I'm always struck when people say that's too Catholic because we've, gone, we've taken great pains to run you quotes from Luther <laughs> and Lutherans who said to use all this stuff. So, you know, to say that it's too Catholic is just not to know anything about Lutheranism. I mean, it's just not to be Lutheran, it's not to understand. And we've, we've run those margin comments over and over again where, you know, it talks about those things. Um, you know, you, when you don't have things, you sort of let them flourish, you let them bubble up. And so what you get the desired response from kids who say, who walk into a place much more ornate than this, and then they say, wow, this place teaches the whole Bible. I don't know if you've ever been in St. Paul's uh, Church in Fort Wayne, downtown Fort Wayne in St. Paul's, is it not? You could teach the entire confirmation class from the interior of the sanctuary without ever opening a Bible or a book. Everything is there. The whole place, it has mosaics and everything. Every square inch is covered with a Bible story or something to confess. So we've, we've gotten into the point when our kids walk into a building and we go, wow, there's a lot to learn here. Or they, the other side of that is, I know why that's there. I know why that's there. I know what that does. Where's the tabernacle? Why don't we have that? You got kids right where you want them. So if you come to a place where you don't have much of that, you kind of add it in. And then, you know, the next pastor or the next one after that, if things get too big, then, then they're responsible to kind of trim it back uh, so that it, it, within the proper bounds. Everything you do and everything you see, it's the Bible, and then, as, as Luther says, what's the gospel? What bears Christ? So it's scripture. Well, to be honest with you, first it's Christ, then the scripture he gives, and then what praises, what explains, what extols, what rejoices in. So stained glass, for example, the reason you have stained glass here is you want to make sure that your kids know these 12 or 14 stories from the Bible. That's the reason you have this stained glass here. So you're teaching them. Do you have to have stained glass? No. But look how you've come to love them. You know what the, the primary, you know what the number one thing that we gave the designer to do? Design the place around the victory window. Because that's what you told us. When we survey after survey, people 70, 80 percent, bigger than anything else, whenever we compared it to anything else, the victory window was the number one thing that w came out. So we said to the guy, you need to design around this window. That's a very odd thing to give a guy to design around. Normally you say, I want to design around the altar or the font or something else. So the design swirls around the victory window, okay? Now in one sense, that's a good thing. Until those things become idolatrous, then you have to trim them back. See, beauty is a, one, one, of, one of my confessors warned me about this Bible study because he's so in tune it, he, said, he said, beauty can possess you. Do you know that beauty can possess you? And I, yes, I know that beauty can possess. But like every good gift, if you, if you say, I'll have nothing because it might possess me. I'll have nothing because it might be misused. I'll have nothing because it could go wrong. Then real honestly, you're not going to have food. You're not going to have drink. You're not going to have sex. You're not going to have kids. You're going to live in the desert all by yourself. That really true. That's the extension of it. So what you do instead is rejoice in the gifts that God's given, and that makes a beautiful place. But you've heard over and over again in the past few years, the ultimate beauty 
is to live in a space in community. It's not an accident that last year we spent the whole year talking about living together as beautiful people, and this year we've talked about living together in a beautiful space, and that both of those things are driven by the incarnation of Christ. It is nothing else but the incarnation enfleshed in people who are the body of Christ and in the works of their hands. It's nothing else but that. And if that gets too big, you trim it back. But if you don't have it, you add to it, you see. And, you know, people are all different. You're, you're all different. There are some people who like incense, some people who don't, some people who like juggles, some people who don't, some people like chanting, some people don't. That's okay. We don't do the same thing every week all the time. We move things around within the bounds of the liturgy, and then everybody gets a little bit, and when it's not exactly what you want, you just come back the next week because it'll probably switch. Is there a question over here? No. Quietness? Yes, please. Is that a view on the altar is something that looks like a bell at the bottom and a crucifix at the top? A bell at the bottom and a crucifix at the Oh, yes, right. What is that? When is it used? Or what is it? When you come to the supper, or when you're done, if you didn't get all the way back there. there that is a crucifix, which we've used probably for a long time. Uh, probably we've had that seven or eight years. We only use it... Uh, we use it in procession. It normally sits in a box back there or in a box up here, so it's always present. It's just a very normal crucifix. So if, if it's on the altar, will we get the Here? Supper? Yes. This? Right. Yes, yeah. uh, it was an accident. <laughs> when we got all the glorious candles in the back, when Gainig was... And Nelson were beating down that poor priest. <clears throat> um, there are a whole bunch of extra toys that came with it, like that cross. There's actually a, a counterpart cross that the pastor Nelson has snuck into his office, but if you want to use it, you can't. I'm going to use it. It's actually a cross that has a curved bottom that fits on a, on a, on a coffin. Actually put it on the coffin which, you know, if you're going to die, that's not a bad way to go. Um, this is simply a crucifix that has the ornate bottom. There's a saint or two on the bottom, and it matches the bottoms that are on the candles. Um, and since we, uh, we were a little short on bodies around here, we thought we'd, we'd sort of use that. It gets a bit, um, that's kind of a tight squeeze at the altar up there with the new place. We're trying to figure out what size and shape the it should be, but it's simply, it's really no more than the, than the, the, it's got three sides, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's got a few saints on it, but it's no more than a decorative base for that crucifix. Sorry, is that the one you're talking about? You're talking about the one on the altar. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you grow up with... I don't think we've ever tried to ring it, but um, <laughs> I think it, uh, it could, uh, maybe it does, I mean, I don't know, it just, you know, uh, it, I think it's just a base that matches the others, and it's you know, just in a particular style. Thank you. Yes, Carol? While we're on the subject, what is the significance of the cloth that's wrapped around the bottom of the candlestick? The significance of the cloth around the bottom of the candlestick is that the Paschal candle in years past has always burnt down to nothing by, before the end of the church year. So this year we ordered one 12 inches longer, and guess what? It's too top-heavy, and so um, we have to burn it down. Mary Caesar was kind enough to weight the bottom. <laughs> And we just didn't think that you wanted to see what might be there. <laughs> it was completely utilitarian. 
In fact, my first words this morning were, Haven't that, hasn't that thing burned down enough that we can finally take the weight off it? And apparently the answer is no. Uh, you know, we just, needed more, we just needed more Paschal candle than we normally have. It'll come off as soon as the thing won't tip over. I heard once it tipped over here. I was never aware of that. I, th- I hope they weren't lying to me. I said, why are we, well, it tipped over once. I didn't remember. Well, it did, did. Okay, well, okay then. We wouldn't want it to tip over. And, we wanted it to tip over and burn the church down so we'd have to collect insurance and put it toward the new place. That would be just horrible if that would happen. Yeah, I know, whatever. If it, I know. I know. I was thinking it'd be fun to have Reverend Wright come here and speak. I think I, I think it'd be fun, but I, I have an odd idea of fun. So, all right. Anything else you want to know? Yes, Ed. Has a decision been made on worship times? No, but what time would you like it to be, Ed? Ten o'clock. Nine o'clock. Thank you. Everybody in America, that's the most popular time in America, so you've got a lot of good company. Am I having one service or two? When's my other one? When's my Bible study? <laughs> You're probably not far from the kingdom, but uh, we might need a little... See, part of the thing about the new space, if you actually have two things, part of the... Part, Part of, the, part of the thing is that we want people to hang out with you and get to know your warm and bubbling personality. And if we actually don't leave time for that, no one will ever come to appreciate you for the human being that Christ has made you into. So we have to build that space in. It's kind of the way your wife loves you. We want everybody else to love you in the same way. So, um, you know, we, we kind of, if we have, I, I don't presume that the people would say we're only going to have one service, even though, uh, just as, as kind of a knockoff, just so you, you know, the seating, you know, there are things that are particular issues in what we talked about. Um, you know, the seating's going to be seven or 800, something like that, 750, 800, 850, depending on what the final configuration is. But here's the thing. We only have about 850 coming in all the services. So you take off the Saturday night people who are, as you all know, a force unto themselves. And now you only have 700. So... When you get to the seating, if the seating on the floor is, you know, 575 or 600, don't break into a cold sweat about that. I mean, and there'll be a couple hundred seats in the balcony, too. We have way more seats than we're ever going to need because you're not going to let me go one time. In fact, I'm thinking I'm probably going three times, right? I'm probably going Saturday night, probably two on Sunday. But I, if, you can, if you can, I'm very willing to take uh, advice there. I've been thinking about that, too, how to spread that. You think I can ratchet you back a little bit? Would your wife get up earlier and come at, say, 8.30 or something? Yeah, she's a... She, sorry? What did she say? She's not the... I didn't say it was a problem. He's your husband. No, that's good. That, but see, that's the sort of thing we're all going to have to... I mean, all of the last two years in this class has been prep work for this. Uh, you know, all the talk about we need to live nicely together and indulge each other and we need to see where the rough edges are and try to make them smooth and... We don't want to be, in fact, I had a woman this week who called me, um, and she said, what's your church like? And I couldn't believe this came out of my mouth, I said. Uh, what I don't want is a cranky church, and if you're cranky, this isn't the place for you. <laughs> and she was, I can't, well, you know, it was a long week, I was tired. <laughs> and then she said, that's great, because I've been in a lot of cranky churches in my life, and that's the last thing a church should be. And then I said, well, you're probably in the right place. 
So uh, I said, we actually have pretty cranky screening here called the new members class. She said, okay, I'll be there on the 17th. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> so uh, she's in, yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, the thing is, is uh, you know, the last thing any of you should, what, what we want you to be is beautiful to each other. We want you to be beautiful folks in a beautiful space where beauty is defined not by how you define it, but by the incarnational presence of Christ. That's the aim. That's where we're going. This, is, this isn't an accident how all these things have come together. And what we've got to do now is there have been so many people working so hard. I can't tell you the number of late meetings that have gone on around here with all parties. And everybody, we've got all these things that are pushing toward the same thing at the same time. You know, the, the, the budget and the sanctuary and the, and the closure and then the rev up of the plans and then the move and, and keeping everything pushing around. It's just, there's just a lot going on. And the key is to try to get everybody to play nice together, not because they have to, but because they get to, because this shouldn't be a cranky place. And especially in the next year or two as you go into this, I mean, the whole point of these past two years was to rev you up for what was about to come. And probably, you know, probably what we're going to talk about next year for Bible study, probably, is about you as a living apologetic. It was Pastor Gainig's uh, two weeks ago, you spoke of this, right? Two weeks ago, Pastor Gainey spoke of this as your life as a witness to Christ, so irresistible that it does keep the rumor of beauty alive, that it does in fact draw in, that people look at you and say, I want what you've got, or they look at our congregation and say, I want to belong to a place like that. I want to be a part of that. See, that's the point. So probably next year what we'll talk about this is, is sort of an individualized basis of how you can begin to talk about that. And, but not in the sense of 14 proves that Jesus risen, was risen from the dead. That doesn't make any sense to people in, in our age. It's just not where people are. If you, you can give them 14 proofs of, 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 of Jesus risen from the dead and be an old crank, and they're not going to come to church because you're an old crank because the resurrection clearly didn't do anything for you. Okay? So the point is to live in the church much the way you live in a family, uh, a whole family, not a family that gets split by, you know, kids leaving or divorce or anything else. A whole family where people, frankly, and this is going to happen all around our church today as there are confirmation parties, a whole bunch of people who don't like each other, but nevertheless are called to love each other, are going to gather around tables with fireworks second only to Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And, you know, the goal, you, you're not laughing, but you know I'm right. Uh, you know, the goal is for those people to love each other, even when they don't love each other, to live as family. It's the incarnational life. And what the next step for you, just so you know, I mean, this is all calculated. We talk about beauty as a community. We talk about beauty surrounding us. And now we talk about beauty as a witness. That's, that's where this is all going. Because, in fact, you know, don't rewrite the history. You remember long ago, far away, when people say to me, uh, you know, and we've had a couple of people say, well, I'm leaving the church because I don't agree with the move. My answer to them is, which one did you vote for? And they're, what do you mean? Well, I said, we gave you seven choices. We said we could raise $3 million for Westfield House, $3 million for Ghana, $3 million for Russia. We said we would split the church and keep some here and keep some here. We said we'd split the church and send some people down there to Chicago and open a mission church. We said we'd give $3 million to Grace. We said we'd sell everything, and in fact, we looked at land. We said we'd sell everything here and move somewhere else. Which one did you vote for? Because you can't vote for nothing. You can't not be a witness. You can't not be on board. My favorite commercial right now, the IBM commercial, where it says, 
start talking, stop doing, which is very akin to Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You can't coast through life as a Christian like nothing matters. This isn't for your convenience, as the epistle says today. Part and parcel is this is for your suffering. Now, you can embrace your suffering with joy, or you can crank about it all the time, but the reality is the church is for other people. You're here for other people. That's the next step. The reason we did this is not for us, but for other people, and not the sort of other people that you would say, gee, we need to get a lot more people so we can pay the light bill. That's irrelevant to what, in fact, we're doing. We need a lot more people so that you can hear what's said in the three readings for today. The church is increased on earth. That what Christ is praying for every day of his life now in heaven, which is for his church, for his disciples, actually comes true in this place for us. That's the point. You should never forget what it is that we were doing. Jesus has taken us a little while to get there. We can move as fast as we can move. Maybe your kids and mine will be better at it. Maybe they'll move faster. Maybe they'll mature more quickly. Hopefully that's the way it'll work. Um, anything else? One more if there's a question. Don't have to. Anyway, life is good. It's been an extraordinarily busy couple of months. Um, a lot of stuff. If you can just sort of uh, go easy, you know, everything, as Jesus says, eventually comes clear. You know, it comes out of the darkness into the light. So things are going to come forward. It's going to be uh, a rush of a summer. We still intend to get the keys to the place next door on the 29th of July. Um, that whole transaction is, you know, sort of signed, sealed, and delivered, as far as I know. They, uh, our folks met their folks a week or two ago for breakfast, and everybody sort of said, hey, this is great. Um, so that's all going on. Uh, the rest comes kind of next week with the voters' meetings. We try to figure out what we're going to do. And then, um, you know, it's everything forward. But always within beauty, always within the incarnation, always within joy. So just, uh, you know, try to remember that. And then next year, you know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what we'll do for summer. Uh, but at least during the year next year, I think what we'll do is your own lives as a witness to Christ. That's extraordinarily important. Okay. Um, thanks very much for the indulgence of the year, and uh, you know we'll just see what the Lord does to us next day. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.